welcome to the Monday Morning Podcast. I've got veteran trader Murray Dawes here. I know Murray very well, but I want you guys to meet him and get to know him. A lot of traders uh, get into the game and they get confused. They struggle. There's, I believe, Murray, the 90-90-90 rule. 90% of traders lose 90% of their money in 90 days. <laughs> yeah. so what I want to do today is uh, sort of pick Murray's brain a bit about uh, not just the markets at the moment, but his trading strategy overall. I think it's going to be very fascinating. So, Murray, how are you going? Yeah, really well. Thank you, Lockie. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so the first question I have for you, Murray, is uh, tell me a bit about you, – you've been in the, in the trading, uh, trading sphere for about 30 years now, I believe – so I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about your history as a trader, and then we'll go into some more in-depth questions as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, look, I started all the way back in the early 90s on the um, futures floor in Sydney. I'd done a business degree, and uh, as luck would have it, I, I managed to jag a um, graduate position with uh, Swiss banking corporation, Deminx Barry, they were called back then, um, and they ended up becoming... Uh, UBS after lots of takeovers went through um, and they put me down uh, straight onto the futures floor. Um, so I was uh, very green behind the years, 21-year-old um, uh, chucked into the middle of um, the craziness of the pits um, in the three-year bond options was where I, oh, bonds was where I started and then had a lot of uh, mucking around in the threes and tens and the options really just as a, a guy flashing signals to the traders and taking orders from, from the, uh, the desk. Um, that was sort of the, the really first role, you know, and it was a real um, a baptism of fire, I guess, um, sort of going from uh, learning about finance, you know, double major in accounting and finance and learning about uh, the capital asset pricing model and, and all of this uh, theory to work out the value of stuff and then um, uh, being in a pit with uh, uh, some bad news coming out and the market's going absolutely ballistic and um, sort of really feeling that that uh, sense of the craziness of, of how markets can be and how volatile they are and how emotional they are. So, so I really fell in love with the markets down there and I spent about five years um, on the floor and I guess that's where I first started being interested in technical analysis um, from seeing how prices moved and really how how traders get chucked out of their positions over and over and over and over again. Uh, the market is amazing at doing that. Um, so you've got to sort of work out a way to take advantage of that rather than than get swept up in it and shaken out by it. So sort of started there and, and um, after that, was off um, sort of working on my theories and trading for myself a bit and then got asked to move down to Melbourne to trade for a hedge fund for um, one of the top 10 families in Australia uh, from a wealth point of view and um, was down here um, trading for them uh, for years and, th and then was uh, broking to various hedge funds around the place, sort of boutique hedge funds, um, taking them my uh, sort of technical trading strategies and spent years um, trading money for other high net worth um, people as well. Um, and so, you know, had been knocking around the markets for a long time um, when I ended up uh, coming across uh, the Port Phillip Publishing and thought it would be a great, great thing to do. Um, so I've been, you know, with them on and off um, for years. 
And so, you know, yeah, we've been definitely been through the ups and the downs of, of what it's like to be a trader. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny, it's an interesting journey. To be a trader, you've really got to go and experience it um, yourself and, and discover your own way through it all um, because there's no rule book, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. Um, I guess that's a great segue to my next question for you, Murray, which is how does the system work how does it control for the psychological variables out there, particularly your own? Um, I'm familiar with the system, but for the benefit of those watching and listening, could you just run us through a general broad overview of how the system works? And then towards the end, we'll get, get to some charts as well. Yeah, sure. I guess the easiest way I could explain it would be that I use the propensity of prices to mean revert over and over whether it's trending or in a range, uh, I use the propensity of the market to do that to set myself up into free call options. Um, so to explain that, uh, if you've got prices oscillating around a range, and so often they are, and, and they're often having false breaks of either edge, and that's tempting traders into bad positions. And then, you know, most of the positions are being created in the middle of the range. That's where most of the volume is happening. So it's almost like a gravitational point where prices keep coming back, shaking more traders out. Uh, and, and prices can spend a long time. Everyone's seen a range. Um, but uh, when you really analyse it, even when you're looking at trends and that sort of thing, you still see really big retracements of waves, which is really shaking out traders who have a big long trend to the upside and then you'll have a massive sell-off which basically shakes out most of those traders who don't, uh, who, who, who are, I guess, not strong hands and uh, who are probably short-term traders. So I'm sort of using the fact that the market does this and I'm really uh, sort of combining where prices change direction with how prices change direction. So I'm really simplifying things down as much as possible. It's like, okay, well, if I'm looking at these uh, prices range trading and I'm seeing where they often change direction and head back to that midpoint, the point of control, if I know how prices change direction, you know, if I know where prices change direction and I know where they're heading to, which is usually the midpoint of the wave or range, that's a high probability event. I may not know more than that, um, and, and I may try to join a longer term trend um, by, you know, buying false breaks of a low of a range and trying to join it. But I'm not trying to think beyond uh, just getting to that midpoint, getting to the, the point where I can uh, lower my risk. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I'll sell a third of the position. And by doing that, I'm actually lowering my average entry price. So if I've bought it at $2 and I sell a third of my position at $3, my average price has actually fallen 50 cents to $1.50. So that means I need to lose 50 cents on the other two thirds of the position after I've taken the profit on one third of a dollar, right? So a lot of people get confused by that, but it's not that. So by lowering that average price, that means the stock is at $3. It has to fall to $1.50 for me to break even. So that covers off two things. It gives gives the, 
trade a lot of room to move because prices are incredibly volatile. And it makes me rest easy at night because I know that if I get hit at $1.50, I sell the position, I walk away with my initial capital intact. So the payoff is similar to a free call option with a strike price of $1.50. Now, remember, the price is actually up at $3. So, you know, well in the money, um, we've, we've caught a quick move because often when prices mean revert, once they start heading back to the mean, it's quite a quick trip. So I want, I want to be, uh, have that full exposure to risk to be as short a space of time as possible. Um, and if I can do that and create that free call option, really from that point on, I don't really care what happens. Uh, it may be upsetting if it does go back and, and stop me out at break even, but I, I'm not going to lose sleep. So, and, and this is what, um, you know, the psychology of trading, it really does push you to the very edge of your sanity. If you've got a big position on and you haven't taken any profit and you're watching it go up and down and you're like, oh my God, I'm up five grand. And then the next week, oh no, I'm, I'm back to break even. What am I going to do? And that's when you're more likely to dump the position if it's gone and done that a few times. And this is what, the, the creation of those ranges and how prices move, uh, really that's what it's doing. It, it's um, driving most uh, traders up, up the bend. Uh, but if you can understand how they evolve, you can actually uh, use it to your advantage and get into positions where you don't need to risk too much to find out if you're wrong. And I guess that's the main overriding aim of when I uh, analyze any position, any stock, the very first step in the whole trade is where am I proven wrong? If you don't know where you're proven wrong, how do you create everything else? But if you know that you only need to risk 20% to find out if you're right, and you know that you're definitely wrong if it hits that level and you get stopped out, you can start building from there. You can start building saying, right, well, I'm willing to risk however many dollars you can risk on each trade. That's up to you and how much money you've got. Uh, might be a grand, might be 20 grand. But uh, you just, you can really create a solid framework. And the smaller the, the amount that you need to risk to find out if you're right, the greater leverage you can get. So you, you, your risk reward increases quickly. Because um, if you only need to risk 20%, you know, you're up 40% on the position, you, you've got a two to one risk reward all of a sudden. Whereas if you're risking 70% of the price of the stock, it's a lot harder over time to get those numbers to work because it really it really comes down to the, the numbers over time of your, your risk reward and your average win and your average loss. It sort of comes down to that sort of clinical approach rather than, oh, gee, I think this is a great idea in this stock and it's going to go up 500% and I'm so right because I'm clever. Yeah. Would you say then the number one mistake that traders make is a combination of just ignoring risk and being overly confident? Would you say that's a fair? Uh... Well, I think I think the market is so great at um, giving you whatever you want. So if you like a stock, I can guarantee you, and you're watching it closely, something will happen that it'll break out to a new high and you go, oh my God, I'm missing out. I've got to buy it because it's in your head that you're watching it. And that moment could be the worst moment possible to buy it because it looks good on the chart because it's breaking out to a new high. So people 
people chase stocks and pay too much and they get shaken out um, on the retracements. Uh, they get fearful. Um, they get greedy. They all, every sort of, you know, the seven deadly sins. Um, everything that it is to be human is really shown and magnified a thousand times when you're in the market. Every weakness you have will be magnified. If you make 10,000 in a week, I guarantee you're probably going to lose 20 grand in the next because if you're too cocky and you don't know what you're doing, because then you start trading bigger because you start getting cocky and you think, oh, I can really do this and oh, I got the last three trades right. I find being being successful can be more dangerous than, than having a few losses because you, you, you just start to lose it as far as your risk management's concerned and that sort of thing. And, and, and also when you start losing a few, all of those fearful things come out. Then you start taking profits too quickly. Then you start maybe holding on to losers a bit longer than you should. So it's, look, the, the, there are many ways to make money, but there are far more ways to lose money. And most of it comes down to, yeah, how you behave when you're in those high-pressure situations. Do you have a completely clear set of guidelines that you just follow or are you flying by the seat of your pants and you'll wake up one day and, the, you know, the, the market will, will have turned hard on you and uh, your profits will be gone and you'll be scratching your head wondering what happened. Absolutely. And... Just on that, I've, I've got two sort of uh, left field things to say about that, uh, because we're not just finance guys. We like a bit of literature. You ever read Dostoevsky's The Gambler, Murray? No, I haven't, but I do love Dostoevsky. So. Well, I think this is one of the best risk management uh, fables out there. And, you know, it's a, it's a great story about a man falling apart with a gambling habit and a trading system designed to sort of take that psychological element out of your decision making process. And then the second thing I wanted to say was my statistics teacher once said, the thing a casino hates most is a gambler that walks away. So I think, you know, knowing when to walk away is just as important as knowing when to get in and that's entry and exit stuff. Oh, absolutely. And knowing when to sit on your hands. Like the, the market moves in cycles, right? Everyone wants to be, uh, I guess, thinking they're doing something all the time. Everyone wants to, uh, people love the excitement of trading. They want to be in there with the action. Whereas the market moves in cycles and there are periods when the market's giving you money hand over fist. And then there's long periods when it's just not. And, and when it's not, you've, you've got to learn to just sit on your hands and just accept that it's not really throwing up many opportunities. And, and wait for the time when it is. And I think right now is one of those times for me. I've had quite a few months lately where it, it's been tough going as we've gone to retest the old um, all-time highs and we've been rallying for a year and there's been a lot of profit-taking going on uh, in the small mid-cap space uh, and the financials, the big banks have been rallying, but, but not much else. Um, and it's those times, they're actually the most dangerous because that's that's when you're thinking you should be doing something, and you're you're you know almost forcing yourself to find something that that maybe not there at all. And it's better to go and play golf um, for a few months and and wait until the you know it, things become clearer again. Well, in that case, Murray, let's jump into those charts because uh, we're in a bit of a sideways movement at the moment in the market. It's certainly been impacting uh, some of the work I do for. Uh, exponential stock investor and I'm noticing certain 
patterns and trends play out. So I was hoping you could share a few of those charts with us. Yeah, sure. And it looks like it's, you know, when you look it up, up uh, close, you think, oh, gee, all it's doing is going up because this is the ASX 200. Yeah. Right. And uh, this is the uh, weekly chart. So here was the high before the crash. There's obviously the crash uh, that happened last year. And we've uh, been in a one-way street to the upside. But uh, the fact is, the rally really petered out sort of the end of last year. And all of this trading here, if you really look at it up close, it really isn't moving that far. It's not really going anywhere. And we've had a little bit of a rally the last few weeks. And most of that is the, um, the banks and the property sort of taking off um, and hold, hold, really holding everything up. Whereas the, the mid-cap, small-cap space, I'm seeing a lot of them that are just trending down day after day. And we've also just, you know, yesterday retested the old all-time high, right? We've got within an absolute whisker of it. And for me, that's actually a high-risk point. Um, for me, it's false breaks of highs is one of the key uh, things that I look at. Uh, it's the fact that, uh, you know, amateur traders are looking at um, breakouts as opportunities, whereas I look at uh, breakouts as points when you should be taking profit. So I'll just give you an example looking at this chart. If we just look back, here was the old all-time high in uh, 2007. And if we look at what happened just prior to the crash, you can see we've just taken out that high and this is when, uh, you know, all the newspapers and everything would be saying, oh, it's broken out to a new high. It looks fantastic. And everyone's buying, thinking it's only going to go up. And, I mean, look what came next. Yeah. And, and if we just go along, you know, I can show you in, in this rally over the past 10 years, pretty much every time you've made a new high, right, got a new high there, got smashed. Here we've got a new high made smashed new high made there lots of work smashed here we've got a new high made sold off for a year right so all the way along the way the prices move is sucking people into positions and then shaking them out new high made sold off for months yeah right so 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 often uh, you know the, the, when you're looking at probabilities you're looking at those moments when Things look great on the charts when they're breaking out and, and amateur traders are, are buying and getting long and adding to their positions and thinking it's all great. That's actually a point when you're taking profit and being wary. And if I'm then seeing momentum shift, if I actually do see on the weekly or monthly charts, you know, my sell pivots, which is, you know, how prices change direction, um, that's when I can really start to get concerned and we're not there yet it's all still looking fabulous but there's just things beneath the surface uh, that have me just a bit concerned and it's just hard to make money in that small mid-cap space at all and uh, the fact that we're retesting the old all-time high for me is actually a, a, a warning sign to to tread carefully um, because I've and the fact that we've been rallying um, non-stop for um, you know, a year to reach here. And the pace of the rally, I, I just sent out a, for my weekly update, sort of mirroring the pace of the rally from the crash 
to where we are now and looking at it compared to other lows in the past 10, 20 years. And you can see just how massive the rally we've we've had is. And uh, now we're knocking up against um, very big resistance. So, you know, it, or the newspapers say it all looks great. But for me, I, I'm more attuned to taking some profits here and then seeing if it can break out and, and really get going. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of my view right now. Just a quick one. Um, do you think maybe uh, the Biden via Yellen uh, capital gains tax change could be the trigger for a sell-off? Or, or, I mean, what are you looking at more generally for, um, for potential triggers for a sell-off? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, the NASDAQ last night, um, I've uh, got in Apple, I was just looking at, uh, was it Apple and uh, Netflix is getting there. Um, Google, not quite. Facebook, uh, Tesla is definitely looking dodgy. Like I've actually got monthly sell pivots in quite a few of those key NASDAQ stocks. And the, and the rally we've had in the last month or two has been sort of rallying up into the selling pressure. That, that's how I look at it. We've already had the momentum shift. And then you have another rally, which is like a final shakeout of, of short-term shorts. Sorry to confuse people. Um, but this is what I see as an opportunity is once I've had the momentum shift, I'm looking to sell that final rally. And we've had that. And then last night, the NASDAQ was really quite weak. Um, the S&P um, got hammered about 60, 70 points from the high and, and is weak in the overnight session. Look, it's still all at all-time highs, so it's all very early days. But the but I'm just watching this NASDAQ in this next little period um, to see how it goes because it does look weak and our tech stocks are certainly um, selling off pretty hard today. Um, and, you know, more generally, God, who knows? With the, the, the Fed and, and the, what they've done, the massive stimulus, can anything stop it? Um, you'd think that if they really do tax um, corporates and CGT, um, that's got to have just by mathematics, uh, an effect on the valuations. Um, that's just a simple um, analysis that you say, right, that should lop 10% off the index. Um, but when you've got massive momentum like we're seeing, it's, it's you, you wonder just at what point. And, and it takes a long time until those sort of things come to fruition. It's got to go through a lot of um, uh, negotiations, um, you know, before it becomes law. So, so the market's not going to be reacting off that stuff yet, um, but, but the momentum is so incredible. Uh, it really is a case of like pushing a, 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 a ball down into the water and seeing it pop back the other way, you know, the crash and then the, the massive stimulus turned on has just turned things like a rocket. And uh, it, it's just amazing the markets these days and what you have to, to deal with, the way that they can just press a button and, and uh, turn it back on. So. Um, you've just got to go with the trends, really, and and uh, keep your wits about you. Well, there's certainly a sort of physics element to the the charting sort of side of things, and um, I think that's a, a very nice broad overview of what we're seeing in the market at the moment for for those who are really looking at this all time high situation with the S and P. And then um, I might just finish with one final question for you, Murray. Uh, and this is, this is starting to get in, into the nitty-gritty a bit, but do you see a value pivot playing out? And, um, and do, you see, do you see maybe the Dow outperforming uh, the S&P 500? Uh, well, the Dow wasn't down at all last night. 
which was interesting. So that yeah, the S and P was hammered, and the Dow was flat. Um, and so I do see the value side. I've started picking up a few value stocks, and they haven't really started running yet. Um, but I'm looking at a few other things, like you know, Perpetual um, is a value investor, and they're actually looking pretty good on the charts. I'm wondering whether they're going to pick up. Um, and yeah, I, I am sort of looking out there at a few different uh, value plays, thinking especially if the NASDAQ does actually turn back down again. And I think in the immediate future, I really think the NASDAQ is um, going to come off the boil um, just from looking at the charts in the last few days. Um, that's just the immediate future, not necessarily forever. But um, but I think we're going to see a bit of a risk off um, in the immediate future now. So, you know, how that plays out, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I, I think you are going to see that growth to value um, start to take hold. Um, but, look, it's been... 10 years in the making so it, it's going to be a, a, a difficult transition won't be easy but um, uh, to pick them but uh, there's definitely some stocks out there that are, that are on the radar um, from a value perspective awesome awesome well that's uh that's a very interesting theme that i think could play out i'm, I'm it's very hard because I'm, I'm in the small cap space so you know uh the the value pickings there are quite slim um, but it'll be really interesting to see how how it all plays out in the in the immediate future and then the, the mid and and long-term future um and and i'm sure you'll be on those charts like a hawk yeah well and, and don't forget i mean the, the the way that the the resources are moving the commodities i mean this this is this is pretty big stuff it's across the board you know um wheat uh, and from corn kick, kicking off with corn has just created this massive move in all all of the softs and uh, you know iron ore going through 200 and you, you start to wonder when you it's across the board as it is is it just demand led but is it also a bit monetary um, and if that is happening does that start to feed through into uh, squeezing margins on businesses does it start to feed through into inflation figures and the the US long bond yield starting to sell off and that's already selling off and it's in a monthly uh, downtrend uh, for me, the US 10-year bonds, um, and I think that you're going to see higher yields. Um, I've got a target of 2.2% on the 10 years at the moment. And uh, I think, you know, that is still playing out. Um, people have, it's not in the news at the moment because the bonds aren't moving that much, but the trend is still up in yields. Uh, and with the way the commodities are moving, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's still, that's got to be, um, something on people's watch list because if those bonds continue to sell off, that will get the NASDAQ really, really selling off. Um, so, yeah, the, the, and, and the US dollar's hanging on the edge too. Um, if the US dollar cracks below 88, um, I see the US dollar really plummeting um, below there. So, you know, so there's opportunities in, in looking at the resources, maybe gold and, and that sort of thing, if the US dollar does crack, um, but it hasn't cracked yet. Well, you heard it from the man himself. Uh, the US dollar is looking weak. Um, that's, a, that's a big story. If it does happen again, um, if, they did, if that DXY hits a, another low, you know, that would be absolutely massive for the world, um, the world's monetary system. So uh, yeah, really interesting to watch. And uh, I might finish it with that final thought. Murray, thank you so much for your time today. All right, cheers, Lucky. Chat to you again soon. Have a good one, mate. Bye. Thank you.